0: Hello and welcome back to this Pepe podcast. I want today to evaluate the naturalistic fallacy. And I'm doing so not that you particularly would get a question that asks you precisely to do this, but because any question on meta-ethics really will involve having some kind of grasp and an ability to evaluate the naturalistic fallacy. Because what tends to happen is, if we're talking about utilitarian ethics or some other naturalistic form of ethics, we tend to just say in our essays, utilitarianism or natural law, or whichever theory we're talking about, commits the naturalistic fallacy. As if that, as a sentence, is enough by itself. But it's not enough. It's simply an assertion. It doesn't tell us that we understand anything about the naturalistic fallacy. And it, it implies that we simply accept the view of G.E. Moore that it is a, a really serious thing to commit the naturalistic fallacy. And I want to suggest that possibly the naturalistic fallacy isn't really a fallacy at all. So naturalistic goodness is linked to various different things. In natural law, for example, it's linked to well-being, eudaimonia, a flourishing life. In utilitarianism, we know it's linked to pleasure or happiness, which is measurable as a natural feature of human experience. In situation ethics, it's linked to agape love, again, a natural feature of human experience, something we can observe and identify. So, in summary, it's linked to some idea of a human being's proper purpose, true function, or some activity which benefits us with some kind of measurable good health, pleasure, fulfillment, long life, and so on. Now, the naturalistic fallacy as an idea really dates back to David Hume in the 18th century. And he wrote this, I quote, In every system of morality which I have met with, I've always remarked that the author proceeds for some time in the ordinary way of reasoning and establishes the being of a god or makes observations concerning human affairs when of a sudden I'm surprised to find that instead of the usual copulations, is and is not, I meet with no proposition that is not connected with an ought or an ought not, this change is imperceptible, but is, however, of the last consequences. For as this ought or ought not expresses some new relation or affirmation, it's necessary that it should be observed and explained, and it's same at the same time that a reason should be given. So, what Hume is actually arguing is that people move imperceptibly so her mother says to her her child her her young child you're causing sarah pain that's naughty that's bad so we move from the observation you're causing pain to the observation to to the inference that that is bad that you ought not to do it you move from an is a description To a prescription. In other words, you're telling somebody, you should not do that. And David Hume is saying, in effect, you move imperceptibly from the is, you're causing pain, to the ought, you should not do this. And you need to provide the missing premise for this argument. You can't simply slip from an is statement to an ought. So really, so really David Hume's argument is a missing premise argument. Answer the question: what is so bad about pain? And if we can answer that question, then we have not committed the naturalistic fallacy. Now G. Moore said this: I quote: When a man confuses two natural objects with one another defining the one by the other, if for an instance he confuses himself who is one natural object with pleased or with pleasure which are others, then there is no reason to call a fallacy naturalistic. But if he confuses good, which is not in the same sense a natural object, with any natural object whatever, then there is a reason for calling that a naturalistic fallacy. This specific mistake deserves a name because it is so common. So, G.E. Moore introduces this phrase, the naturalistic fallacy, for what Mill observes as a movement from an is-statement to an ought-statement. And and, and, uh, G.E. Moore is saying that we cannot go from description to prescription. However, we might argue that G.E. Moore on this point is simply wrong. So, consider this argument. Brian promises Sue he will pay back £100 that she lent him. That is a description. Brian, therefore, has an obligation, recognised in the idea of promising, to pay the money back. It is involved and included, we might say, in the language game of promising, this idea of obligation. Therefore, Brian ought to pay the money back. Prescription, with the word ought or should, because to fail to do so is to break his promise. Now, you'll notice in that little example, we move from an is to an ought via an understanding of moral language, how promising operates. And if you like, the movement from is to ought is possible because of our shared understanding of the language game of promising. Now, we therefore need to consider carefully whether the naturalistic fallacy is in fact a fallacy at all. My argument is twofold. First of all, as David Hume describes it, the is-ought problem, if you like, the movement from description is, something is like this, to prescription, something that you ought to do or ought to avoid doing, is a missing premise argument. It's not a f- an argument about a fallacy. Hume is merely challenging us to supply the missing premise. Now, for a natural law ethicist, for example, that is very easy to do. Something is bad because it does not produce human fulfillment or human flourishing. So pain is best avoided and is a bad thing because it does not contribute to human flourishing. That would be the natural law argument against pain. And for the utilitarians, they simply argue that pain is bad because it's something that everybody, by our very nature, actually seeks to avoid. Unless, of course, in brackets, we are a sadist or a masochist, in which, we are, in which case we actually actively pursue pain. But then we're thought to be unreasonable and a bit pathological and crazy. So the theories that we study do have an argument for supplying this missing premise. And so when we use the naturalistic fallacy argument of G.E. Moore in our essays, we need to be careful that we explain it properly, but also that perhaps we learn to criticize it. Because after all, the principal ethical theories of the world, with the exception of Kantian ethics, are indeed naturalistic. They are pointing objectively to something out there in the world or if you like something that we experience by our very natures which we can produce an argument for saying are undesirable and bad and ought to be avoided. Now, you can find more about this, the naturalistic fallacy, on the website in the meta-ethics section. And you can discuss these points, if you wish, whenever you are evaluating one of the naturalistic theories. But remember, Kant is a non-naturalist, so you wouldn't use this argument when evaluating Kant.